Welcome to National Energy Talk. My name is Mark Stansbury. Today, uh, Josh is going to continue to help me uh, in a Q&A session, part two, and uh, we look forward to addressing those issues. What are the challenges for an energy infrastructure? Well, I think you can look back in uh, February when we uh, had uh, some issues uh, with our uh, the grid, that is, in Texas. Um, that it, it's important that we have reliability. Uh, so infrastructure, if not in place correctly, can cost uh, all of us, cost lives. And, and as, as we saw what happened in Texas, uh, could happen to any of us. We could have uh, uh, the challenge if in, we don't have the proper infrastructure in place and reliance on others to help us get through it um, could be tough times. We're seeing right now, uh, as we're recording, there's the, the uh, summertime of uh, using uh, air conditioning and the, the grid's being going to be tested this, throughout the summer and early fall. And then it goes right back to the cycle again, uh, the wintertime. Can we keep up with uh, the demand? And uh, so that's, that's a challenge when it comes to infrastructure. We've, we're not keeping up really with our infrastructure as it is uh, when it comes to oil and gas. We definitely have a lot of uh, upgrading to do. And that also, we also need funding for when we're talking about clean, uh, clean energy, uh, green energy. Uh, we definitely need uh, funds set aside for that, for our building our future infrastructure as well. So we've got a lot of challenges ahead. Uh, we can either look at it as a negative. I look at it as a positive. Uh, there's an there's a end result that's going to be great for future generations. But we're going through a, a growing pains, uh, which is part of the process from the industri- Industrial Revolution on. Those weren't always easy, but uh, the the results are going to be great. We've, we've got the infrastructure issue for reliability, affordability needs to be in place, and uh, all those factors are going to be part of the, uh, and of course, accessibility, being accessible, that is, uh, is very important. Okay. What about some particular challenges with regard to cybersecurity? Well, again, another uh, few months later, in, in, in uh, May, uh, we saw what could happen uh, in the southeastern part of the United States. Well, when there's a breach or hack into the system, uh, Colonial Pipeline, uh, that was uh, quite a, uh, uh, a uh, eye-opening event for many people. I've been working for quite some time um, on cybersecurity issues. Um, I, I, though I'm not expert by, not even close <laughs> when it comes to uh, IT or anything related, I've I realized that if we don't confront uh, the cybersecurity issue, we we're going to be in trouble years ahead. And this was several years, this is like 10 years ago. I'd gone to uh, a conference at Rice University, and there were two speakers that were experts on cybersecurity, and they, they, they definitely put me into a, uh, the mode of, we'd better do something. And so I, I got busy, and uh, so uh, I was chairman of a, a organization uh, a few years back, and so I wound up uh, getting an expert from cybersecurity to talk to the board, and many of the board members, uh, you know, looked at it as, well, just another uh, speaking engagement, with, just to fill a, a retreat, and uh, I said, no, this is, uh, this is something we need to take seriously, 
Um, and it, it's been difficult. And I, I gave a talk called The Digital Transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And part of that was really having to do with cybersecurity as well. Um, it's getting it into the, not only in the oil and gas industry, but I, I was having uh, those, well, we'll get around to type attitude that someday down the road we'll talk about cybersecurity. We'll know it's here. And it's an issue that uh, is confronting us now. And we're going to have to definitely step forward or pay a price. And <laughs> as uh, in, in, uh, in when it comes to paying a price, uh, they definitely did. And others are doing that. So we've, we've got a challenge ahead on that. Can we be, meet the challenge? Yes. Uh, we're behind on it. And we just don't need to keep going behind. We need to move forward. One more on the theme of challenges for the energy industry. Talk about the digital transformation and the challenges that presents. Well, Josh, the, the digital transformation goes beyond cybersecurity. You know, it goes uh, there, there. In fact, it's interesting. I've, I, I know of many companies that, uh, uh, that have been very successful without really the uh, expenditure for uh, capital expenditure for uh, for computers and keeping up with uh, with the current uh, current infrastructure. We talked about infrastructure earlier, but the the digital infrastructure is needed as well. Uh, we're we're facing so many things ahead of us uh, when it comes to um, the digital transformation and the whiteboard to the boardroom, as I talked about earlier, and that is, you know, we're from from, uh, you know, Bitcoin to robots to all the different things that are being confronted or, you know, AI, uh, artificial intelligence, on and on that are facing us. Uh, we're, we're behind in so many ways. Uh, many oil and gas companies and energy companies are definitely up to date, but there's so many that aren't. And so I hoped that, uh, that those uh, not up to date will do do so. They become more at least uh, aware of what they need. Try to budget it in when they can and and move forward. I know that uh, it's it's paid off for several companies that I'm aware of, where they did expend the funds and and came up with solutions um, for their future. And I encourage others to do the same. Can ESG and the oil and gas industry coexist? Environmental social governance is to some in the oil and gas industry, energy industry, and other uh, business sectors a maybe a threat. Um, but I, I look at it as uh, similar to what we used to call phase one, phase two in environmental assessments. There, there was a time where we go, why are we doing this? And look, it's it's paid It's given us good results. We go out and we analyze. Um, soil samples and so forth when it came to environmental assessments. And it helped uh, improve the environment. We saw many things come from that. If this is done correctly and not just trying to shut down a oil and gas company or try to shut down our certain sectors, other, you know, it should be embraced if, if done correctly. And that means should uh, we look at how our company, and let's say it's an oil and gas company, how we're impacting the environment, how we're looking at uh, hiring and so forth when it comes to s- the social environment. When we're looking at governance, are we really looking at properly and how we're structuring our even board governance? So those are questions that if done properly, we should embrace and, and, and it can be embraced and called the e- ESG factor, uh, environmental social governance. Um, 
but we've got the challenge uh, that from some that maybe it's a way to shut down the energy sectors. Uh, I, I see companies that have stepped forward and go, no, that's, we're, we're looking at it. We're going to have an ESG compliance and uh, whether it's a certificate or something in our files to show what we're doing and what we need to do to make uh, our world better. How does a person enter the energy workforce? For me, it was a journey that, uh, that really wasn't definitely uh, in, in my, on my mind. You know, you think from a 13-year-old until I was around 19, I really hadn't thought about the oil and gas industry. And where did I go? I went to a friend that was in the oil and gas industry to get a, get a job and get in, involved in the land. It's a land man, that is. And uh, what a great experience it was. Today, if you want to enter the oil and gas industry or energy industry, where you want to be in solar or wind um, and, or renewables of any kind um, and, and other industries, including oil and gas, there are universities that have uh, great programs. We have several in Oklahoma that you can enter the workforce uh, years after training and, and uh, gaining the knowledge base, whether it's a landman or a geologist, a geophysicist, on and on. We have great schools, and we have great technical schools. So if you want to become a welder or if you want to become involved in any technical trade, uh, we have also great institutions to go to in Oklahoma and throughout the United States. And, uh, and that goes for any part of the energy sectors. Uh, so I would say that do some research. Look at uh, some of the universities in your state where you're located or states in your region. Look at the technical schools that are available and, uh, and do some studies. Uh, it, we're going to need a workforce. Uh, it's in the oil and gas industry. It's not going to be just uh, a matter of uh, a few weeks few months, a few years down the road, uh, we're going to need petrochemicals and we're going to need some products um, to help us through all this. We're going to need uh, transportation, so that means we're going to have to have a fuel that's available, ready to go, and uh, we're going to have to have power generation. So for many years ahead, and uh, the EIA uh, and other research that I've, I've go gone to shows that we're looking at, uh, you know, decades ahead that oil and gas industry will be around. With that said, there's probably going to be a transition, and there's going to be a transition um, to solar, and you've already seen that, and wind to uh, complement. Uh, and that's why I think uh, what my theme has been, uh, of course I mentioned striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation, but uh, one part is America needs America's energy, all forms, all American. And we need all forms. We're going to need a workforce. We're going to need anyone that's interested to step forward and look at the opportunities before them. Uh, there's good wages to make, good benefits to have. I hope you'll look at the opportunities if you're interested. Mark, you have been a producer of a film documentary. So would you tell us a little bit about what that's about and if you have any other projects like that coming down the road? Well, I'd mentioned earlier about the documentary, The Grand Energy Transition, uh, in 2012, uh, based upon a book written by Robert A. Hefner III, same title. And uh, Gray Fredericks, who is a 
Academy Award winning uh, for actual winner for Godfather Two as a producer, Maylee Hefner, and I, uh, three of us produced this film documentary, and it was really again looking at the opportunity before us. Uh, again, that's almost ten years ago now, 2012 when it came out. Most of our uh, filming was in 2011, early 2012, and it was released uh, to um, uh, those in, we had a, an event in my hometown of Elk City. Uh, we had uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, different locations throughout the U.S. and on, uh, on television as well. And the key was energy education. We need, again, it kind of goes back to National Energy Talk. How can we f- uh, use this uh, this film to to work on a dialogue? And that's what we did. Uh, when you take people like Aubrey McClendon and Boone Pickens and Ted Turner and and see that they're really wanting to see a great future ahead for for young people and for generations ahead, that's so encouraging. And uh, so that's the documentary that uh, I I like to do. In fact, there's a documentary I'm working on. With Gray, it's an energy uh, film documentary that will be released in the spring of 2022. Uh, can't wait to tell you more about it. We're not ready to uh, to announce it yet. It's actually uh, you know scripts underway. The filming's underway. We've funded it. It's ready to to roll out again by the later part of this year, and uh, in hopefully you'll be able to see it. Uh, in the spring again of 2022 uh, energy documentary can the world's energy demands be met in the years ahead well that's a a, a great question there's a, a lot of infighting going on between countries and uh the demand is huge i mean if you take close to 8 billion people we have around 300 million or so here in the united states and uh we we along with china are the top 2 using energy right now but you take india which uh, has around uh 30 percent of their population is urban and uh it reminds me of where china was when i first visited china in 1994 um they did not have the infrastructure by any means that they have today and it reminds me in india very similar of what opportunities there are to get out of poverty, uh, look at urbanization, and I see India being a a having a great opportunity ahead to go that route. Um, there's going to be a demand for energy for uh, to get to where we are today. I remember in China talking to some to some individuals that for the first time had a refrigerator. For the first time, uh, were able to use lights. The first time that they were able to have lights to read from. You know, that's 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 the world we're talking about. It's not like, you know, uh, you know, where we are today where I can flip the switch and I go to my car, I can drive around, I can do all these different things. And I I don't want to say I take it for granted or any of us take it for granted, but it's just a habit. It's it's just right before us. We know that it's going to be ready and it's available. It's reliable. And most times, at least, well, that's not the case. When I went to Bulgaria and to Russia and to Czech Republic. Uh, there was times that we would have uh, brownouts, blackouts, uh, temporarily, uh, some for longer, longer than just temporary. Uh, been stuck on elevators before uh, in um, in the Eastern Bloc, 
and and uh, I I hope not to see that happen for our, for our future generations. But with that said, this is a world demand. It's not just America's demand. And so, how do we meet that? Uh, it's a challenge. Uh, so that means all forms are going to be necessary: uh, natural gas, uh, oil, uh, wind, solar. All this is going to be stepping up. To think that we can meet our demands here on a carbon, you know, getting away from a carbon footprint, there's so many countries that uh, don't have this opportunity without uh, using natural gas because of the volume that's necessary. It takes a huge amount of volume, uh, BTUs to to heat and, and uh, to air condition and to provide transportation and power generation, on and on. Um, so technology. And innovation are on the way. We've seen what's happened in the oil and gas sector where uh, the more innovation and, and technology used, uh, the better. So we're going to see that happen in, in solar wind. Uh, another area will be nuclear down the road uh, that we'll be looking at even closer. So uh, there's, a, there's a good future ahead. Will we meet the demand? Yes. It's going to be a challenge because of all the numbers of people that are wanting to have the opportunities we have in the United States. And uh, that's just looking at the basics even, uh, to have uh, all the availability, starting with a, a switch to refrigeration, on and on. Mark, do you make presentations and speeches? Tell us about that part of your uh, life. Well, Josh, I, I love to make a presentation and, and speeches. Uh <laughs> I like it. I hope that the, the audience receives it well. It's uh, something I love doing. Uh, I get I, this this fall. I'll be talking at the National uh, Royalty Owners uh, Annual Convention. I've done that several times through the years. Uh, NARO, a wonderful organization. Uh, I've spoken at their at their regional organizations, uh, whether it's Oklahoma NARO or or other organizations throughout the U.S. But the national conventions. I've spoken uh, in. Uh, let's see. I've spoken in in uh, Little Rock and uh, let's see, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, uh, Dallas, uh, Las Vegas. Uh, I've really enjoyed those opportunities. Spoken to a lot of organizations uh, in uh, throughout the U.S. Uh, Shreveport Wildcatters group there, uh, San Antonio Wildcatters. Desk and Derek organizations, uh, and I've loved doing this for years. I try; it really helps me keep up with issues. I've got to be up as much as possible on issues to be able to to converse and to make presentations. And along the way, I get questions that make me want to learn a little bit more <laughs> because there's usually Q and A time frame in there, and uh, so that's a challenge for me to make sure I'm not only on top of the issues, but also say, if I don't have a good answer, don't answer it. <laughs> but say, I'll look it up or I'll find an expert that can get you an answer because along the way, there, it's such a complex industry, upstream, downstream, midstream. That's just the oil and gas industry. If you take the power generation utilities and, and all these other issues, we just talked about digital transformation and the cybersecurity on and on and on. It's a very complex industry, energy industry altogether. So to keep up with all these different moving parts, I call it, are it's fascinating. And so that's what keeps me really, you know, in the middle of the night, getting up and writing down a note about something I need to be talking about or thinking about. And to think how uh, the infrastructure is in Russia compared to here, or infrastructure in, 
Saudi Arabia compared to here, and on and on and on. So those are things I like to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of uh, moving parts that I like to, to address. It keeps me up uh, sometimes at night <laughs> and uh, to think about the future. Um, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a challenging time. It can be a scary time if we let it. But I would say together, like the this, like this sub-theme of this book, America Needs America's Energy, creating together the People's Energy Plan is the ultimate. And that's so, giving these speeches around, uh, I, I do love doing that. And so, um, bottom line is reach out if, if you would like uh, to have me come to your organization and speak. Uh, please reach out and uh, let's talk. What is the oil and gas industry doing to reduce its carbon footprint? There's earlier I mentioned the uh, environmental social governance ESG factor. Uh, that's really when when I say the oil and gas industry, I, I have to say that some parts of the oil and gas industry are embracing that. I hope that the majority of the oil and gas industry will look at it even closer in the sense that we take the lead. Don't be led. Let's take the lead and make sure we answer questions like methane emissions. Can we cut down on methane emissions? Well, the answer is yes. Will it take a bit, a great deal of expenditures? Yes. Will it take a lot of workforce development and time and effort? Yes. So I, I believe the answer is yes, we'll meet the challenge. For those that don't meet that challenge, they won't be around. Um, I predict that those that are alive and well in the oil and gas industry will have to look at how they can embrace uh, work together with other forms of energy, meaning the uh, industries, solar, wind, and others. Uh, it's not us versus them. If it is, you probably won't be around. It's it's how we work together that will be the end result. So when we talk about carbon capture sequestration, uh, that is also something that has to be in place, and there are companies spending a lot of monies to make that happen. The demand from companies in on the major side, for example, Chevron shareholders are demanding, uh, from what I g- gather reading, is that they're they're demanding that there be better, uh, you know, far as environmental issues that they they confront, that Chevron confronts that in in a bigger way, and so that's before before the board. Uh, in uh, as far as Royal Dutch Shell, uh, their country came up with uh, regulations to say they need to cut back. Far Shell company needs to sh- cut back on emissions, uh, and uh, when it comes to the carbon footprint, that the, it's being regulated that direction. We s- we see that Chevron is already looking at selling about a billion dollars worth of assets. Last I heard. Uh, I don't know if that's exact number, but of assets in the Permian Basin uh, to lessen their footprint of Shell Oil is looking at uh, selling uh, a majority of their interest in the Permian Basin. Uh, so we're we're seeing uh, companies like uh, Chevron, um, Shell, but also Exxon. Recently, uh, Exxon had uh, three uh, replaced. Four, three of the four board members were were up this last time, were uh, supported on the uh, on as far as environmental issues, ESG, and so forth. And so you're seeing the board boards throughout the energy industry, oil and gas industry, uh, beginning to 
take a lead in that we're, you know, they're looking at shareholders um, that are going to be voting on boards that are more at what I've talked before about uh, balancing energy efficiency and environmental preservation. That's been a theme that I've had since 1992. I keep preaching it, and I see that uh, that we can have a strong oil and gas industry, a strong energy industry, uh, but we've got to main we've got to maintain this efficiency and the preservation. It goes hand in hand, and it won't go hand in hand in the future. Uh, is what the shareholders are saying, uh, unless we embrace. Uh, an energy industry that looks uh, uh, beyond the bit, uh, looks beyond just the the grid, uh, that looks at how the impact's going to be for all of us in the years ahead. So, challenges there. We're going to meet it. Uh, we'll still be active in the oil and gas industry and the energy sector for quite some time, but only if we try to comply and to embrace each other, working together for. Uh, an energy plan. America needs America's energy. All forms, all American. Thank you for joining us on National Energy Talk, part two of Q&A. Join us next time on another episode of National Energy Talk.